the Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Simon Harmer, founder of Thursday, an award-winning multidisciplinary design studio based in Winchester. Simon was the guest speaker on our most recent webinar, where he gave an insightful and entertaining presentation entitled, No More Bullshit, How to Create Compelling Content. It was a fascinating webinar and can be found on our website, evolvemembers.com, if you want to go back and watch the webinar. However, I was so intrigued by some of his comments and insights that I wanted to get him on the podcast for him to share some of his views with you. As business owners, we're all being told that content is the bedrock of any marketing plan and that without it, we won't be heard. But what is content exactly? How, more importantly, do you define great content? How do you go about creating it? And how do you make sure people see it and respond to it in a way that grows your brand and your business? Simon answers these questions and more today as we cover the importance of instilling a strong emotional connection to your customers. It's kind of like your North Star. You can just check back into it all the time and say, right, well, it is what I'm saying. Is the content I'm putting out true? Is it honest? Is it consistent? And, and I think once you've got that brand in place, then really the content from that sh- should flow and, sh- and should be good. A simple way of differentiating marketing and sales. The way we always look at it is marketing drives leads, sales closes leads. And the impact of good branding. And I think the, the great thing about good branding really is you it, it's the truth of it. It's uncovering what's already there and articulating it in a, in a way that has meaning. If you want to know more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now... Let's get on with the show. Hello, Simon, and welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you on the podcast. We hosted a webinar with you recently, and yeah, great to now have you as a guest on the podcast because there was some great feedback and great content that came out of that webinar. So thank you for that, Simon. But before we do that and we start talking about, you know, actually what is great content? How do you use social media? How do you create a brand and brand creation? I just wondered for our listeners, can you just put some context and insight into your own entrepreneurial journey and a bit of a background to your business Thursday, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, wow, I've been doing this 20 years now, I guess, which is quite scary. So uh, the, the, to go all the way back, my um, I was at university down in Portsmouth. I uh, grew up in Shropshire, wanted to get as far away from Shropshire as I could, so I went to University in Portsmouth. And the day I graduated, my um, my housemate said to me, what are you going to do now? And I'd, and I'd done a degree in illustration, so the career prospects weren't amazing. And I said, oh, I don't know, I'll just work in the pub, I guess. And he said, listen, I'll, uh, I'll make you into a famous artist. And I said, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> the next day he came in and he said, okay, I've got our first job. The guys next door own a construction company. They want you to draw them a logo. So I literally hand drew a logo, took it down the coffee shop, photocopied it onto a few bits of paper and letterheads and business cards, and, and they gave us some money for it. And I think that's when I first discovered that um, 
we, we could maybe make some money out of design. So that was back in full late nineties, I think. Uh, wow. Then, then we uh, we were lucky enough to be on a BBC TV show. Uh, I'll show you the clips one day. <laughs> it's quite hysterical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got the recorded. I'll share it with you. Quite funny with a guy called Alvin Hall. You might know him. Remember the name? Yes. Good friend. Yeah, yeah. He used to do a financial show called Your Money or Life. It was normally about individuals, but they did it on on us, uh, and that sort of got us a bit of exposure. And then we we got some funding, moved from. Portsmouth up to Winchester, which is where we are now. And then it'll be 13 years ago in January, we started a, a more of a digitally focused agency I, think, agency, I think it was at the time, called Marmalade on Toast. Uh, four years ago, the, the, the same guy that I started the agency uh, or my agency life back in the 90s with uh, exited the business. And so uh, it was just me. And so it feels a bit like a new agency now. And last year we rebranded, changed the name, had a bit of a a uh, facelift, which is always hard to do when you're a design agency. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so Thursday is, we call ourselves a design studio. We're a team of uh, just over 20 designers, developers, strategists. And we basically help clients kind of get back to the core element of what their problem is, if you like. We use a lot of insight and research to really delve into what their problem is. And then we help to create uh, creative solutions for that, whether it be a rebrand, uh, naming, doing a naming workshop tomorrow. Uh, and then we do a lot of design and build of digital assets as well for apps and websites. So, yeah, that's kind of us and who we are. We work with a range of clients from big global companies like Estee Lauder and Samsung all the way down to sort of local charities and SMEs. Really nice range. Wow. Sounds like you've had quite a journey, Simon. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, interestingly, we started what was called Marmalade on Toast is now Thursday in 2008. So at the start of that awful recession back then, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then obviously, uh, you know, 13 years later, we're going through something similar now or 12 years later. So uh, at least I suppose we've been through it before and, and come out the other side. So, uh, you know, there's always, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there's that knowledge and experience of going through the journey before and, and going through different issues gives you the confidence to face it again, doesn't it? So... Yeah. Let's kick off with that simple, perhaps, but yet critical question about what is good content, Simon? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, and, and one that, um, you know, we talked about last week on the on the webinar that there's a lot of content around now, you know, um, back in the day when I suppose if you think about advertising as a as a medium, you know, it was all the kind of Mad Men stuff back in the day where it was, you know, TV, radio. There was a, a printed content as well. And now everybody is a content creator. You know, uh, everyone's got a mobile yeah. phone. They've got their own <laughs> media lab. It's at their, their, fingertips. their fingertips, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. just there at the fingertips all exactly. the time. Yeah, anyone can do it anytime. So I think really great content always comes back to really who your audience is, what you're trying to achieve. And I, I mentioned it earlier that you've got to be led by insight, really. So I think before you start creating content, and, and what you think might be great content, you really just got to sit back, uh, don't react, and get some real insight uh, into who your clients are, what you want to say, and um, don't ever make any assumptions. You know, we have so many people that come to us and say, "Hey, I've got this great idea, and I love the color green, and I love this font, and this is what my message needs to be." And we'll say, "Okay, who are you talking to? <laughs> well, 
or we'll get a brief and it'll be 20 pages long and there's no mention of the audience. So I think the first thing is to always be led by insight, you know, do the research, speak to clients, you know, do surveys, pick up the phone, whatever you need to do, but get that real insight before you start. And I suppose you may have just covered it off there, but, you know, is it how do you get to know your audience properly? Well, there's a number of ways. We quite often partner up with a, a, a really good uh, research agency here in Winchester, actually a company called Walnut. They do some phenomenal stuff. So, it, you know, again, depending on your scale, your budget. So we did a big rebrand project a few years ago. I think I mentioned it in the webinar. And we used these guys to do the deep dive research for us. So it was for um, a company building retirement villages. And they went in and did some face-to-face conversations with people looking to downscale and downsize their houses and, and buy new houses. So quite an emotive subject. And they went into their homes and interviewed them and then fed the research back into us. So that was really deep dive stuff. But, you know, it could be as simple as monitoring your social media, sending out a survey via email, things like NPS schools and things like that are always good. Again, pick up the phone. One of the things we did at the start of the first lockdown was we just phoned all our clients, just said, look, what do you need from us right now? Do you want us to leave you alone? Uh, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, and then we built up a good knowledge of what they wanted from us and we could react that way then. So, yeah, loads of different ways, depending on your budget and your time, really. Brilliant. And how would you describe good content? I mean, is, does it need to be emotive? Does it need to stir a reaction? Or is there different content at different times you should be posting? Is it a broad church? You know, how would you summarize yeah, that kind I of th- element of content? I, I think a lot of this, comes back to something else that we do an awful lot of which is brand and i think if you if you can get your brand right by that i mean make sure you mentioned it there that you've got a really strong emotional connection to your to your clients and your customers then that's the starting point that's the sort of foundation for everything that goes forward so it's kind of like your north star you can just check back into it all the time and say right it is what i'm saying is the content i'm putting out true is it honest is it consistent and and i think once you've got that brand in place then really the content from that should flow and and should be good there's obviously then some practical things to think about um you need to sort of plan out your content you know don't just go scattergun and just start start throwing content out willy-nilly um make sure it's beautifully designed that it's on brand and that you know you're kind of reaching out to those customers in a meaningful way but i think the emotional content the emotional connection is really good and you can have a like you said you can have a broad range you could have some stuff that's sort of fairly functional in terms of telling people what 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 it is that you do you're kind of you know what simon sinek would call your what uh and then and then have stuff that's really emotive the why you know the stuff that really um resonates with people in an emotional way because that's the stuff that's going to have real meaning and have you got any kind of philosophies around, you know, how often you should sell through content and on social? <laughs> be give value and information. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules in terms of frequency. I've seen a lot of research around, you know, how often you should post things. Again, it will depend on your audience. You might have an audience that reacts well to that thing. So if you think about uh, retail, for example, uh, you know, you, you might be sending out a message a week, which has got discounts and new offers, new seasons, you know, things like Black Friday and all that kind of stuff. So that frequency there is probably uh, acceptable and needed for that audience. Uh, and then you've got mm-hmm. something like, you know, the stuff that we do, which is 
more service-led and it's kind of more strategic where it might be that we send out probably a monthly newsletter and then I might do daily posts on LinkedIn, which could be sort of quite conversational. And then we have weekly posts on Instagram. So it really depends on your sector and your audience, I think. So no hard and fast rules. Don't overdo it is the key thing. I think I saw a statistic that something like 70, 75% of people that unsubscribe from email lists do so because of uh, uh, they've been hit with too much. So that's the kind of over over delivering, if you like. So again, talk to them, see what they want. Yeah, thank you. That's great. And it's quite interesting. You talked about being reactive earlier, Simon. It really seems at times that so- social media can be so immediate and demanding, as we've already said, with that phone at your fingertips. I know with a kind of, when you're comparing yourself to your competitors, a kind of, I know, best described as a snooze you lose type scenario. <laughs> but you is, you can often see also at times, it's you know, that can lead to a habit of posting content just for the sake of it, but yeah. especially on perhaps the platform like, you know, Twitter. So what can you do, do you think, to be less reactive and still very much stay on point and be kind of a, ahead of your competitors? Yeah, I mean, you know, competitors is a really interesting space because um, we talked about this earlier about, you know, what, what does insight mean? Where do you get that insight from? Look at what your competitors are doing. I think sometimes we, you know, you, we can be a bit critical. The world that we're in uh, is really interesting. We, you know, there's a, an advisor I work with, and he calls the other agencies frenemies, <laughs> your friendly enemies, <laughs> um, because yeah. you can you can quite often strike up some really interesting conversations and partnerships with these people and learn from them. So it's worth looking at, and if you you can actually strike up some really good relationships if you're, you know, for example, in our world. You know, we're we're quite brand focused in what we do. We work with some agencies that are really focused in the charity sector, for example, some agencies that might be really PR based or just digital marketing. And you can start to build up some really interesting conversations and partnerships. I think, you know, we we can get a bit hung up on what our competitors are doing. I think the, the idea of just being reactive for the sake of it it is a bit of a dangerous one in terms of, you know, you, you might look at someone else and say, well, they're posting, you know, six things a week and it's all about X, Y, and Z. I think if you just sort of true to yourself and, and to your brand uh, and, and what you believe in, but plan it out, be strategic about it. It's that kind of mix of creativity, which is the kind of the ideas and the soul and the brand behind it alongside the more sort of functional strategic. If you've got the two working hand in hand, well, then it should be successful. And don't beat yourself up too much about it. Um, and I, and I do think, again, I think we, we touched on it in the webinar. Some, sometimes people react to something in the wrong way. I talked about that British Airways, uh, tweet mm. that went out saying good luck to the England rugby team. And then every, yeah. <laughs> you know, the whole Twitter sphere jumped on it and said, hang on a minute. You're not English Airways. You're British Airways because they were playing well. So, you know, even the big brands do it. So just, just take a bit more care, be much more strategic. Take a breath. And you talk about strategy there, and I suppose could have a wider discussion really about kind of, you know, social media and a marketing kind of strategy, which, you know, to some business owners, some business leaders, particularly those in the SME world, that can sound quite daunting, can't it? So do you have some key tips or insights on how to simplify things so people are unsure where to start in forming a sort of social media or marketing strategy? 
Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's different ways of doing it. You can work with professionals in the area. And, you know, I think you're, you're right. The word strategy can be a bit misleading and it can be a bit daunting because you suddenly think of, you know, management consultants charging £1,500 a day just to walk in the door and tell you what's wrong with your business, right? I've, <laughs> we've all met them. Um, yeah. I think half the time it's, it's, uh, it's finding the time. It, it, it's, it's giving yourself uh, the ability to just sit back and look at your business and see what it is you're trying to achieve. There's lots of good resources out there. There's loads of good books and uh, good podcasts and stuff. Again, I, well, one of the things I struggle with is there's almost too much out there. So have a look around, do some research into, or speak to people that you trust. That's the other good thing. And again, in our, in our industry, there's a really good sort of network of people that will say, oh, you're looking for help, uh, you know, how to write strategy for agencies. You should talk to these guys. Uh, and you'll generally find there's some really good resources out there. Don't be too daunted by it. I think it, what, what, what it essentially means is, is standing back, looking at your business, the key thing is what, what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, for some people, it might be, you know, we want to grow by 25% next year, or we want a 5% more market share, or, you know, we, we want something a little bit, little bit less tangible, like we want uh, more brand awareness. Um, it could be somebody who's got something like an e-commerce business or a product business. We want to, you know, increase our sales by 50%, whatever it might be. You've got to start with that objective. And then try and keep it as simple as possible and work your way back. So you might say, you know, there's different ways of doing it. One example might be an average client is 10 grand. Uh, we want to increase our sales by 100 grand. We need to find 10 of those clients. Okay, what do those clients look like? How did we win the ones before? Let's put a plan together for how we can win those. And once you've got that plan in place, and again, I would keep it simple, you can start to build content around that. So if your customers, you know, those 10 grand customers are on LinkedIn predominantly and they are uh, in a certain sector, you can start maybe writing some content that's relevant to that sector, release it, you know, once a week or build up a, a good email database. Email marketing is still pretty powerful. You know, you can, the great thing about digital, you can monitor the results, you can change it, you can iterate it. So there's lots of different ways of doing it, but I think, Start with your objectives, keep it simple, and then, you know, go, go out and find uh, people that are doing good things in your industry. Perfect. And do you think people often confuse sales and marketing in a sort of SME? You know, they don't separate the two. Yes. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I, you know, we're, we're, we're an SME. Quite often, well, you'll know this as well that you know business owners we we wear so many hats. We certainly do. You've got to be a bit, of a, yeah. You've got to be a bit of a jack of all trades. I think if you can get the help in, you know, I've now got. I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a marketing manager and I've got uh, a new business director. So I'm sort of covering those two roles. And they're they're really interesting roles that work. You know, that, that help me work on the business rather than in it all the time. And I think, yeah, look, marketing effectively is getting decent content out there and appealing to people in your audience to ultimately drive leads. Sales mm. is taking those leads and converting them into clients. It's fairly simple. And you're right, it's quite often they get banded together. You know, you'll have sales and marketing directors or, you know, uh, it seems to be one function. But um, I think the way we always look at it is marketing drives leads, sales closes leads. That's great. That's a very simple way of putting it, Simon. I love that. Um, and it, 
in terms of traditional, you know, I was with, a, I was actually with a coaching client this morning. We were just talking about things and and kind of business, and and they were getting quite emotional that their team is so focused now on digital marketing that they're leaving traditional marketing behind, and you know that the, they're not got enough of a mix or a blend. And you've touched on there that you know actually email marketing works, but you know, do you still see mail dropping work, advertising working? Is it truly a blend, or has the world moved on such now that you know, you know, perhaps that particular client needs to get into the modern world and go fully digital? Uh, well, I think mark, uh, digital is just a part of marketing. Digital is just a part of what we do now. I, I think try not to separate the both. Just say it's marketing and look at it as one thing. I see all forms of marketing working. And, you know, I think about what we've done in the past. It's diff- difficult at the moment, but, you know, it, we're in very difficult times in terms of it's not going to stay like this forever, but it's a bit strange at the moment. So putting that aside, in the normal world, we would do a real mix. So we have a marketing plan, which is, I think, about 30 different points. And, there, and that will include things like uh, events. So as you do, you know, we put events on. Yeah. Um, we invite people to our space, which is this beautiful 4,000 Square Foot Studio in Winchester. We invite people in, in our, in, you know, our audience that we're looking for, and we do some thought leadership. You know, that's quite a traditional form of marketing. Then we'll do partnerships with other agencies. Again, it's all part of marketing mix. Advertising still works. You know, there are still some brilliant forms of advertising out there. You know, even things like, you know, radio ads, TV ads, they're becoming, you know, you can still do those things and they'll have success. I would always come back to your audience. Always, 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 always. You know, and, and then there's a little bit of differentiation. What can we do that, that's a bit different? You know, everyone's doing digital marketing at the moment. I'll give you an example of this. It's not really marketing. I suppose this is more sales, but we did a pitch recently and I knew that because of the conditions, everybody was delivering their pitch via video and they were emailing their proposals in. So we had our printer create a handmade book. We printed our proposal. We had these beautifully embossed covers with our logo on. It was it was a you know a hand bound book. It was an absolute nightmare to produce. Um, <laughs> beautiful though, I'd imagine. <laughs> it was beautiful, and I took a copy. I put it into a, we have these really lovely Thursday tote bags that we that we've got, and some lovely little notebooks and stuff. I put it into a bag. I jumped in my car and I drove down uh, to meet to this. It was actually a private school that we were pitching for, and I hand delivered it to the headmaster. <laughs> and I said, look, yeah, I wanted to give you this by hand, and he was blown away. He invited me in. He gave me a tour of the school. Uh, he invited me in for coffee whilst we were still allowed to do that. And we ended up winning it. So it's knowing what the other uh, your competitors are doing. It's knowing what your audience really likes. And I knew this guy was, was tactile and loved print because I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to him and found out a bit more about him. So really get to know who your audience is uh, and then tailor something to, to them. You know, you can still do the the kind of what we call the sort of always on stuff, you know, you, you, your regular newsletters, which has your, you know, your regular content in it. So keep mm-hmm. that stuff going or your weekly Instagram posts, whatever they might be. But don't be afraid to do these nice one-off pieces. And it, it is finding that point of difference, isn't it? Is how do you stand out from the crowd when everybody is trying to grab attention? Yeah, zig when, zig when everyone else zags. That's the key. Zig when everybody else sags. I do like that as well. Um, and I suppose that grabbing attention thing is, particularly if your audience, you know, is, I suppose, 
any business, but, you know, is the SME sector. In a time when everybody is mid-crisis, you know, dealing with the day-to-day and you're still trying to grow your business and you're still trying to get out there and you're still trying to put content out and you're still doing your marketing activity, you know, you can be different to grab attention. But any other thoughts and tips about how you go about, you know, in a competitive arena, in a crisis situation, how you don't just increase volume to shout louder, but still grab attention? Yeah, I think one of the key things I've I've learned, particularly this year, is it's just being sensitive to people. We looked at ourselves really carefully and said, you know, there's a little bit of a saying, is this the right time to be trying to sell to people? You know, mm. people's jobs are on the line. People are furloughed. We particularly, are, uh, you know, our target audience really is marketers, marketing managers, marketing directors. And, you know, there were a lot of our clients were on furlough and it was we, there was just no point in that respect. I think you've got to be really sensitive at, at times like this and just say, do people really need this from you? Do, do Are they going to be taking on board content that's effectively quite sales orientated if you're trying to bring people into a funnel of some sort? Or do we just need to be kind, respectful? You know, so we spent a, a fair chunk of our time initially just saying, look, this is this is us. This is what we're about. We hope you're all OK. I've seen a lot of, you know, even the big brands do some really interesting stuff around actually helping. I think, again, we touched on this in the webinar. You look okay. at people like Brewdog creating their own hand sanitizer because they care, not because they're after market share. It's it's actually helping, you know. Um, so I think just just temper your your messaging with with a, a real respect for the time that we're in at the moment. Um, and I think things will change, but um, it, it, you've got to get the balance right. Because look, we're all saying it's been a tough year and you know you, you, you need new business and you've got to keep it on. So don't stop the marketing. Uh, just don't go 400 miles an hour gung-ho. And again, just have a bit of respect for who the audience is and what they might be going through. Yeah, definitely. I, I... I'd agree with you wholeheartedly with that, Simon. You know, we've I've got two businesses evolve the coaching and development business and inspire the business tax and advisory firm for ambitious business owners. And and but with both, but in particular with Inspire, you know, we sat down and said, right, this is the time, you know, not to sell, but just put our arms around our clients and support mm-hmm. them and Fine. make contact with them and run webinars and every time there's an announcement, make sure we're sharing our interpretation and knowledge that we have putting it into layman's terms so people could understand it and benefit from the reliefs and grants and schemes and everything that was out there. And it was a time to actually switch on being more informative and spreading knowledge and and passing knowledge out into the business community for both Inspire and Evolve rather than kind of, you know, selling. And as a result, you know, you come through this and both brands stand quite proud I would hope from our competitors because we did that and we were supportive. And, you know, in time over a number of years, people I'm sure will remember what we've done and and the payback comes, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, at all times that one of the things I've learned throughout my career as an entrepreneur is just be kind and be nice to people and give, you know, just give something. You know, now is a great time to put content out there for free, help people, you know, do that for them. And it will come back in spades eventually. And don't do it because you expect it to come back. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. And people will really respect you for that. And as you said, you know, when, when things kind of settle back down again, 
and the dust settles, people will be looking around and saying, gosh, that was tough. But you know what? Inspire, Evolve got me through that. And you know what? They were fantastic. And Warren gave us all that content, and, you know, that kind of thing. And it, and it, and it yeah. will just, it will, it will breed success. Absolutely right. Yeah, I think yeah, I'd call it being human. Really, it's just you know, <laughs> exactly, recognizing yeah. that others suffering and and support and you know and be and and share as well and share your own experiences. But I also think that's an advantage that owner managed businesses have, entrepreneurial businesses have. Yeah, is that you can take a long term view, whereas too often you see some large corporates that you know it's all about the numbers, it's all about the share price, yeah. and therefore their messaging can appear crass. Whereas actually, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial owner-managed business can take the longer-term view with regard to relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about brand, I'm interested in your thoughts on creating kind of brand values mm-hmm. and making sure that organization lives up to those values. I mean, we've all could probably quote a number of instances where you know a brand spouts what its values are and what it represents, but its behavior is completely different. How do you get alignment of values to behavior? Yeah, a good, well, good question. Again, I think we mentioned it in the in the webinar. We looked at somebody like Virgin, who you know Richard Branson's all about his people. He talks about you know look after your staff; they'll look after your customers for you. Put your people first, and then start the lockdown. Suddenly, asking all of his staff to take eight or ten weeks unpaid leave or whatever it was. And and suddenly you say, well, hang on, that's contrary to what you were saying before. And, you know, it's quite a big backlash in the press about that, that he actually then came out and, and, and did that open letter to all the staff, which I thought was a, a good piece of, yeah. you know, I guess brand positioning, but also sort of PR, which he's the master of. Well, the key thing is, I think we touched on it earlier, just making sure you've got that strong brand position in place. And we, uh, we, we've been doing branding work now for years and, um, I think one of the key things is when you when you create a brand from 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 scratch is just ensuring that you bring everybody along with you on the journey. I've seen it happen a number of times where people create a new brand if you like, they create this new brand position and they suddenly go ta to all their customers, their staff, their stakeholders and suddenly people go what what just happened to this company that I love and have worked with has just now changed overnight. So a big part of um, the process that we go through is working with those key stakeholders. And you can define that from the start. Just make sure that, you know, it could be everything from staff to the key directors, your suppliers. They get quite often get overlooked, but they're a part of your supply chain. Obviously, your your audience. So speak to your your clients, your customers, whoever they might be. And, and, and you build up this really interesting piece of research and, and, and uh, this picture about what the organization is at currently, or if it's new, what you want it to be. Uh, and you'll find that people really buy into this. They are, you know, if, if it's employees, they feel part of the process. If it's your clients or customers, they, they feel respected and they feel like they're, they're being considered and, they're, they're, and you know, they're, they're part of the process, which is really important. And then when you create this brand position, which, you know, at this stage, we were talking about, again, an emotional resonance of people. We use the Simon Sinek golden circle model, the why, the how, and the what, which I touched on earlier. You want that real emotional connection with people, the why. You know, if you think about Disney, it's all about magic. You know, if you think about Airbnb, it's all about belonging. You think about Volvo, safety. You know, it's these, suddenly you have this emotional response to people. And that's how we react as humans. It's uh, we have this incredible emotional reaction, which is straight into our limbic brain, without getting too neurosciencey. 
Uh, and that's the part of the brain that makes decisions for us. You know, it's, it's that thing where you go, oh, this feels right. Oh, oh, that feels lovely. Or, oh, that feels a bit dangerous. You know, it's that part of the brain. Yeah. And that's what you want a really strong brand to do. And then once you've got that in place, you've got that position, then you create this beautiful visual identity and this verbal identity, which echoes that. So that's kind of the craft of the, the branding process, if you like. And so when you've got all of that in place, actually relatively easy then, pushing out the messages, you know, you have a tone of voice, you have a set of brand guidelines, you have a beautiful set of uh, imagery and fonts and colors and all that kind of thing. So it's it, really what I'm saying, trust the process. Brilliant. And, and go back to that, do the research, get the insights, get build the people, brand from there. Yeah, get people. People, do you know what? People love it. They love being part of the process. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see, particularly when it's people who, you know, they, sometimes they're not, their, their point of view might not always be considered. You know, when, um, when we're looking at types of audience to speak to, I'm just trying to think we did it with a local charity a couple of years ago. In fact, it's a good, I'll tell you this story quickly. I went to the theatre last night. The Theatre Royal in Winchester is a beautiful old theatre. And they were a part of a charity called the Live. It was called the Live Theatre Winchester Trust. And they own the theatre and they own, they run what's called the Hat Fair, which is actually the longest and largest outdoor festival, I think, in the UK. And um, they came to us a couple of years ago and said, look, we, we need to, we're all over the place. We've got these two, we've got the theatre, we've got the Hat Fair, we want to launch a new outreach brand. And we've got this strange charity called the Live Theatre Winchester Trust. So we did a real interesting piece of work with them where we renamed the charity. Uh, and it was now, it's now called Play to the Crowd. And then we repositioned all the brands, but all under this one kind of overarching brand position, which was about uniting and delighting. Anyway, so um, we did that piece of work and it was a wonderful piece of work. Really, really wonderful. But we pulled in people from all over the place. We went out and did a survey to all of the people in the database. We spoke to, you know, the council as they were part of the, the board. We spoke to, you know, the guy that puts the chairs out in the evening, the, the chief executive, the marketing people, the people that work behind the bar. And the buy-in from the whole team was just wonderful to see because we brought them on the journey with us. They helped create the name. They were part of the process of, of, of rebranding. And yesterday, they've been through an awful time this year. Absolutely awful, as you can imagine. And I, we went there last night. They've managed to put on a Christmas show. They normally do a big panto every year. And they've managed to put this, you know, kind of last minute, this sort of almost like a sort of semi-panto on. And it was just wonderful. And I walked up to, to you know, sit down in this theatre be out be there with people and everyone was socially distanced and wearing masks but the chief exec Derek came up to me he said you know what he said if it hadn't been for the work you'd done for the rebrand I don't think we'd be here wow so what happened is they did this big public appeal and everybody responded because they knew about the charity they knew about the work that we'd done and and then when they went to um, the government for the arts funding which came out later in the lockdown he said that we had such a succinct way of talking about ourselves and the way that we looked. He said it, it just made the process really easy. And I just thought, well, how wonderful. What a great example of how design and brand can really help. Brilliant. You must have, that must have been a very proud moment for you, Simon, to see the impact that you and Thursday had had. It was really emotional. I was, I was nearly in tears. He then stood up in front of the whole audience. And said, you know, how what an incredible journey they'd been on, and, and what it how, what it meant to him to have everybody there. And you could just see people go, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> something in my eye. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's the power of what uh, great design can do. Brilliant. 
Could I just I'll ask you a question a bit like a couple of shoes question, actually, is <laughs> obviously you talk to lots of um, companies about their brand and repositioning and changing their brand. But, you know, you said in the intro, you've changed your brand in the last few years from Marmalade on Toast to Thursday. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that caught you out in that process and anything that made you think, ah, now when we take clients through this process, this is what we forget to tell them? I don't think so. We weren't really caught out insofar as it it just took an age (laughs) because we we, we knew what to expect. Part of the delight of doing what we do is that people aren't really expecting it and some wonderful things get sort of pulled up along the way. I think there were some really nice things that came out insofar as what we actually did is we worked with a consultant as well because I just felt we were too close to some of it. So I asked a friend of mine, a lady called Lynn Dobney, who used to be the COO of Interbrand. Uh, and she helped us, Christian and I, who I mentioned earlier, he, she she helped us right at the start of our journey. I said, look, I'd love it if you could come back and do some of the research for us. So she went out and spoke to some of our clients. And, the, and, they, and she just pulled up some wonderful insight for us, which we perhaps had overlooked. And I think the, the great thing about good branding really is you it's the truth of it. It's uncovering what's already there and articulating it in a, in a way that has meaning. And so for us, it was all about our brand position in the end was all about clarity because it, you know, the webinar I did for you guys last week was, was called no more bullshit, wasn't it? Yes. We're, we're sort of trying to cut through all of that noise and we're all about simplicity. And in fact, if you look at our work, it's, it's very clean and clear. And I think that's the style that we really like. And, what we try and do with clients is just get back to the the real key objective of what they're trying to achieve. So that for us was all about clarity. So when we considered the name, and bear in mind, Marmalade on Toast had been in existence for 10 or 11 years, and it was really difficult. We did a bit of a survey internally, and 50% of people were like, oh, let's keep the name. 50% were like, oh, I don't like it. It's not right for us. And the, and the clients were about the same as well. So it was a real, really interesting point. But then what we did is we went back to our start and we sort of looked back and said, well, when did, you know, if we're all about beginnings and, and getting to the start of things and, and, and the agency started on a Thursday, Thursday, the 10th of January, 2008. And we just thought, oh, that's quite nice. And then I looked back and I was born on a Thursday. My first child was born on a Thursday and all these nice little things dropped into place and it just felt right. So, yeah. It gave the name meaning as well. And context of what you're doing. Yeah, which Brilliant. we didn't have before. The the original name we just literally just pulled out of a hat. We're like, oh, well, marmalade. That's quite quirky. And then you know, the marmalade limited had gone, so we thought, oh, marmalade on toast. And <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've done we've done it properly this time. Yeah, it was interesting that you had outsourced it or outsourced to some get some external expertise in to help you on that journey. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, and it was somebody that sort of knew us and knew a bit about us, but wasn't too close to it and, and too close to the clients. It also means when they're talking to the client, they're not sort of thinking, oh, we need to be a bit careful about what I'm saying here. Because, you know, if I'd have gone out and spoken to the client, they probably would have said something very different than what Lynn got from them. But it's interesting because you can bring that back to just, I believe, every day in business, can't you? That you do need those independent mentors I call them Yodas, non-execs, mm. whatever you'd oh, like, yeah. to sometimes give that kind of impartial view of decisions that you're making. Yeah. Well, you do this, don't you? I mean, you do coaching and things like that. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that 
particularly now when I'm kind of running a business on my own, I have a consultancy firm I work with, two guys who have been there, done it, you know, been through the whole agency process. And then I've got people like Lynn, who I still talk to. As a guy I met on that TV show nearly 20 years ago, an amazing guy called Graham Beswick. Uh, and he's been a mentor to me all that time. And I, you know, I just dip into talking to these people at different points and they've all got real value to add. So yeah, that's just an amazing thing to have in your network if you can. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I often talk about him, a guy called Mike and he's been with me, you know, well, since my corporate days, but that, you know, through my kind of inspire 16 year inspired journey. And I just wouldn't be where I am today without him because, you know, you need those people around you that are going to call you call you out when you're being an idiot yeah. and put the supportive arm around you when you need that little bit of confidence and that re- little bit of reassurance that you are doing the right thing. Absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. So as we wrap up this uh, podcast, it's been great just to have your opinions again, Simon, and and your expertise and, and your knowledge. I'll just ask you one final question. What's your personal definition of success? Oof, that's a great question. Uh, do you know what the first word that springs into my mind is 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 happiness uh, brilliant that that's kind of where I'm at really because uh, sometimes we can beat ourselves up about numbers and figures and you know objectives and strategy and all this sort of stuff but I think you know everyone strives to be happy don't they uh, particularly at the moment and I think you know one of the things I, I I remember early on in my career I was thinking do you know what my family is so important to me I, I feel like I'm I'm sort of trying to buy enough time to spend time with them and that's where my my happiness comes from. So success for me is when I can, you know, maybe take a bit of time off and spend it with the family. So I know that the business is doing well if I'm able to have those moments aside. So maybe just sort of finding what that what happiness means to you, uh, and then giving yourself permission to to go and achieve that. I guess. Brilliant, Simon. Really great uh, response to that question. And if people want to learn more about Simon. More about Thursday, the agency. Where can they go to find out more about you and the agency, Simon? Yeah, so our, our website is thursday.studio, uh, and we're on Instagram and LinkedIn as well. Uh, my, I have my own website, uh, simonharmer.co.uk, and same for uh, so my Twitter and Instagram is at simonharmer. Brilliant, Simon. You've been a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. been a real pleasure. Thanks, Warren. I really enjoyed Simon's outlook on marketing and branding. In both the webinar and this podcast, his passion for design and creating that emotional connection with the customer and client really shines through. It is also so refreshing to hear someone talk about the importance of kindness and simply doing the right thing, especially during challenging times. Like Simon said, even if you're not directly profiting from this kindness, it comes back to you in other ways that can be even more valuable. I think the key messaging that came from today's conversation is to take a simple but studied approach to content. Always consider your audience and most importantly, be true to your messaging. This is something I have to say both I and my teams at Inspire and Evolve have learned during the course of this very challenging 2020. And I'm proud of the strong connections and loyalty that we've created by our approach. There's still so much to learn though and the only way is up. If you want access to further insightful content, details of future webinars and events and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get our weekly newsletter. You can also learn there more about the services provided by Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching services, 
and the lovely co-working space that we have in Ashley Cross in Paul. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please do rate, review and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.